Welcome back to My Take. This is Season 3. I am Dr. Brad Dieter, the Chief Operating Officer here at Macros, Inc. This podcast covers a little bit of everything from the business side of the health and fitness industry to the science of nutrition and exercise. And I have absolutely nothing to sell you. This podcast is all about getting free information out to people. So take a listen. We're excited to have you in the show. We've got a fun episode for you guys today to kick off season three of the show. Today, we're talking all about why diets work, why they fail, and how you can kickstart any diet that has stopped working for you. Once again, season three episodes are also available in video via YouTube. So go check us out at Brad Dieter MI on YouTube. Excited for you guys to jump into the show. So without further ado, here's episode one of season three. Welcome back to the show. I am Dr. Brad Dieter, the Chief Operating Officer of Macros, Inc. And today we're going to be talking about why all diets fail or why they work until they don't. So we're going to talk a little bit today about the landscape of diets, the major principles of diets, why diets stop working, and how to get diets started again. So first, let's talk about kind of the landscape of diets. Now, when we think about you know, the full kind of spectrum in the world of of dieting, we can really kind of break diets down into about six major topics or kind of categories, so to speak. One is food group restriction. So this is basically like, you know, your your gluten-free diets, your dairy-free diets, um, your vegan diets, your carnivore diets. You're basically just eliminating food groups, right? That's one type of diet, right? That's kind of one archetype. The next one is what we'll call macronutrient restriction. So this is like low-carb diets, low-fat diets, et cetera, right? All the different types of diets that you can follow that remove one of the three macronutrients. I guess technically you could say being sober, not drinking alcohol is a macronutrient restriction diet because you're eliminating kind of the fourth macro. Another one is kind of what we call the macronutrient ratio focus. So this is kind of like, you know, the zone diet. Um, Even the Atkins diet is a little bit like this, but kind of the like 40, 30, 30 approaches. Then you have what we'll all call positive food selection diets. So these are diets that instead of you removing things, they have you focus on a specific food group, right? So it's like plant-based diets. That's food restriction, but it's also like, hey, you're going to eat a lot of plants. Um, there's kind of a new, there's a diet book that was published a couple of years ago called the CERT food diet, where it's like you have to eat certain foods that activate these certain genes. It's very interesting about that book is I actually did my uh, PhD dissertation on um, kind of the sirtuin genes. I, I did a subset of that. So very familiar with that. Um, it would be interesting to talk to the author of that book and see how he came to the conclusions he came to. But the next one is kind of habit-based diets. So these are sort of the diets of, um, you know, I would even call like intermittent fasting, right? It's like a habit. So it's like time of day you eat. Um, you know, people like Precision Nutrition teach kind of habit-based diets of like, hey, eat a palm full of protein, um, eat a thumb full of fats. You know, those are kind of habit-based diets. And then we have meal replacement diets, right? Where it's like, 
you just replace all your food with a certain food, right? So this would be like your Herbalife's, um, man, what was the really popular one? Isogenics, right? Those diets, um, you've got places like Nutrisystem where they just replace all your food. So that's kind of the landscape of diets. Now, if you take all of those and you actually boil it down to the principles of how it actually works, it comes down to a, a couple key things. And the way that I think about it is there's, there's kind of four aspects of these diets and they all lead to one thing. So you have habit change, right? Anytime that you change your diet, whether any of those six kind of diet archetypes is you're changing habits and you're often changing environmental cues, right? So what you're usually doing is you are changing a lot of the foods that are actually in your house. You're changing the types of foods that you eat in a given day. Um, you're changing the restaurants you go to eat at. And so what you actually end up with is a massive habit change. And anytime you make massive habit changes, you're more aware, your patterns are changing, and this often leads to a reduction in calorie intake. The next major kind of principle around these foods is they're almost always leading to restriction of one or more foods and or food slash nutrient groups, right? Like low-carb diets, low-fat diets, gluten-free diets, keto diets, carnivore diets, plant-based diets. They all restrict something, right? When you remove something from your diet, usually initially, you don't replace it with anything. So this often leads to a reduction in calorie intake. The next one is what we call reduced palatability. Most diets, when you change from kind of the everyday diet that you're eating, you're going to more simple foods, generally speaking. Not all the time, but generally speaking. This reduces the what we'll call palatability of the foods or kind of the enjoyability, the enjoyment factor of the foods. And that leads to less food intake. This leads to calorie reduction, right? And then hunger management. Right? A lot of diets promote either higher satiety foods like protein, fibrous veggies, or time-restricted feeding. And this often leads to a reduction in calorie intake. So from a dietary perspective, basically all diet archetypes that work result in, in, result in weight loss do so by creating a calorie deficit. And this can be achieved by kind of combining any of these principles, habit change, food restriction, reduced palatability, and hunger management. And so if we look at things like, you know, let's just take the keto diet because it's been popular and a lot of people have had success. So let's talk about why it works. Right, when you adopt a ketogenic diet, there's often a large departure from normal eating behaviors, right? Like if you're going from eating every food to now I've eliminated an entire macronutrient group, basically carbohydrates, that's a large departure from normal behavior. So you're gonna eat less foods. Reduce palatability. A lot of times when you go to a keto diet, you restrict the types of foods you can eat. And a lot of times it's like, you're just eating one or two, three, four, five things that are pretty simple foods. And that limits like the textures, the flavors, and the nutrients. So you often consume less calories due to that. And then the last one is kind of hunger management, right? Ketogenic diets generally promote higher protein. And that increases satiety, which lowers calorie intake. So, you know, when we look at kind of the research around ketogenic diets, this is exactly what happens. The ones that result in weight loss come from caloric restriction. And it's because of the habit change, the food restriction, the reduced palatability and hunger management. Like this, all of these steps have been documented. That's kind of how diets work. And we can go through like intermittent fasting. We can go through zone. We can go through Weight Watchers. Like if you look at all of them, they all fall under those principles and that's how they all work, right? 
Some are maybe a little bit more focused on food restrictions. Some are more focused on hunger management. Some are more focused on palatability. Like they're all, some are focused on habit change. They all kind of have a heavier focus on one, but they all essentially work the same, right? They all kind of have very similar core principles of how they work. So now let's talk about why diets actually fail. Number one is diets fail due to adherence. As humans, us sustaining habits that go against kind of the current day modern environment of what's easy is really difficult. Two, inaccuracies. Kind of failure to self-report very well, hold ourselves accountable. As humans, we are very poor estimators and we often bias ourselves in the wrong direction. And number three is our failure to adapt. One of the things that I heard very young in my career is everything works, nothing works forever. And you need to realize that what works in one situation may not work in another situation. So those are the three reasons that diets fail. And we'll talk a little bit more in depth. Adherence, inaccuracies, and failure to adapt. So let's talk about um, dietary adherence over time. So this is just one study that was done. And I'm going to put a graph up over here um, that kind of shows this. And this holds true for basically every diet that's ever been done. It doesn't matter what diet you follow, adherence drops over time. And basically by about six to 12 months, you kind of find the bottom level of adherence. And it's, it's really about like 30, 40, 50% adherence at best for most diets. And that's for pretty much everybody. By about a year, we are terrible at staying adherent. And so what that means is about every four to six months, you probably need to do a pretty honest self-assessment and be like, hey, how adherent am I? And I think if you look at kind of your own you know, experience in your own life and you say, hey, every time I've tried something new, I get great results the first couple months and then things fall off. <clears throat> and why is that? It's generally our adherence falls off. The next one is inaccuracies. So one of the very interesting things that we've learned about ourselves as humans over the last couple years slash decades is that we are really bad at estimating our own energy intake and our own energy expenditure. And so basically, we substantially underreport our food intake and we grossly overestimate how many calories we're expending in a day based on our physical activity. And this holds true for even people who are like registered dietitians, right? They've done studies on normal people and registered dietitians. RDs are kind of a nutritionist are usually a little bit better, but they're still not great. Um, and there's a study, um, I'll kind of throw the graph up here, that kind of shows, you know, 10 people who self-reported and a lot of people underreport their intake by about 50%. So that means you think you're consuming 1,000 calories a day, but you're consuming 2,000. And this doesn't mean that you're lying to anybody. It just means that we are very poor estimators. Like if I were to ask you, what did you have for breakfast last Monday? Like you wouldn't know, right? You're just, we just don't think in those terms. So we're really inaccurate. Um, and that even our energy expenditure, we're off by sometimes 50%. We'll think we burned 2,500 calories a day and we really only expended 2,000 calories a day. So if you kind of take those two and you put them together, our kind of energy balance we think is maybe pretty close to, you know, even, or maybe we're in a deficit. In reality, we're probably more like a thousand calories off in the wrong direction, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. And that explains why 
We have such trouble in the modern world maintaining our body weight because we just live in this crazy environment where we're hyper sedentary because of our jobs. We drive everywhere. The built environment just really promotes kind of sedentary behavior. You can go to the gym seven hours a week, but that's not really that much calorie expenditure. We have foods that are very calorie dense. So it kind of just sets up this environment where it makes it really difficult for us as individuals to really kind of accurately assess what we're doing. So that's another big reason diets fail. And then the last one is kind of failure to adapt. And there's a few reasons for this. There's kind of two things. One is math related and two is lifestyle related. So the math related thing is pretty easy. Let's say you start kind of your diet journey and you start at 200 pounds and you're eating, you know, 1500 calories a day and you're losing weight and you get to 150 pounds. Well, now the math of you losing weight or maintaining weight is much different than the math when you were at 200 pounds. So you have to make an adjustment to like, hey, what's my new level of maintenance? What's my new level of deficit to lose weight at the same rate? You know, what what are my new goals? Maybe my goal now is to put on muscle mass because I lost 50 pounds. So the math of what you need to do changes. And then the last thing is on that piece, your life changes, right? I think about what I did at 20 is way different than what I did at 30, which is way different than what I'm doing now. I turn 35. Oh my God, next week. Um, but, you know, even in that five-year span, my life has changed a lot. So you got to think the math changes and my life changes, right? I'm no longer, you know, expending 4,000 calories a day like I did in my 20s, right? I no longer can kind of eat the same foods that I could eat when I was 25 or 30, right? But I maybe am lifting more weights now so than I did at 30 because my priorities have changed, right? Like my body can't handle playing basketball five times a week, so I have to lift more weight. So it's like everything has to change, right? And that's a big piece. So that's why diets fail. Adherence, inaccuracies, and failure to adapt. Now, how do we kind of kickstart things again or how do we get diets working again for us? Kind of three, three ways you can do it. One is kind of address inaccuracies. Take an honest assessment of current behaviors. Two is make a change. And we'll talk about that here in a second. And then three is kind of adapt the plan. So when I talk about addressing inaccuracies, one of the best ways to do this is spend a couple days or a couple weeks, like really closely monitoring what you're consuming and be like, you know, measure everything, weigh everything. You don't have to do that, but just do that maybe for a week and just kind of get a new sense of like, hey, what have I actually been eating in a given day, right? Or very rigorously log your food or take pictures of everything you eat and send it to a friend and have them look at it <clears throat> or hire a coach, right? And have them take an honest assessment. Get some objective feedback, whether you're doing it or somebody else is doing it. And you have to make sure that you're getting an honest assessment of what you're actually doing, right? Take a journal, journal all of your physical activity. I sat today from 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. I went to the gym for an hour. I came home and from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. I laid on the couch and watched uh, a Netflix series, right? Like really own and objectively assess what you're doing so you can kind of find where things may be breaking down. And then, you know, one of the biggest things is sometimes you just have to make a change, right? We kind of talked about how, you know, dietary adherence kind of drops over time. 
when you get to that point where you know, like, hey, I'm just not adherent, sometimes you just have to make a change. Like, maybe you've been, you know, following a, you know, a plant-based diet for six months and you've had great results, but now it's like kind of going back in the other direction. Make a change, right? Like, go to something else. And the reason is not because you need a new diet to work, but you as a human being need novel stimulus, kind of reset your desire to be adherent, right? Make a new plan. This is kind of one of the most difficult parts about coaching people and specifically when you're doing like programming. So like personal training online, especially in person still is if you like, if I had a client who said, Hey, I want to add 10 pounds of muscle tissue over the next year. My thought process, like the optimal way to do that is I'm probably going to have him do the exact same exercises every week for four months and then make a slight change and then do four more months with the exact same exercises and the next four months with the exact same exercises. Like every week, it's going to be very, it's basically going to be identical workouts and just consistently increasing the volume with maybe a deload here or there. Like I'm going to try to keep it as consistent as possible. But that client on week eight is going to be like, dude, we're doing the exact same workout for the eighth week in a row they're going to want to not do it or the effort level is going to drop, right? So I have to think, how do I give them a novel stimulus? How do I change things so this feels new and exciting? Same thing happens to us is we have to make changes, right? Sometimes that's change the whole calories you're consuming, change the exercise you're doing, change the foods that you're doing, change your macronutrient targets, go from, you know, keto to low fat, like just change something so you can reset adherence. And I think that's a big one. And then the last one is make sure that you're adapting the plan to your new situation. Did you get a new job? Are you spending way more time in the car? Did you get a new job and you're spending way more time on your feet? So you don't have time to go to the gym at the end of the day, or you're too tired to go to the gym at the end of the day. Like, what are you doing now that's different than six months ago? And how do you need to adapt the plan? So that is why diets work until they don't.